verses 13 through 16 this morning. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, you can find that in your pew Bible in front of you or in your own personal Bible if you're following along in our interactive bulletin as well on your, on your app. I invite you to understand as you're able, in body or in spirit, for the reading of our gospel lesson. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You might be seated. Or I guess may, may and might, either way. You might, or, hey, if you want to stand, who am I to stand between you and the good Lord? So, um, I am not a particularly good cook. I'm an excellent eater. My pl- I always clean my plate every time we eat. Um, I'm an excellent eater. You know, it's, it's um, it's, uh, we went to see Lion King last Sunday. And, you know, if you've seen Lion King, you know, it opens up with that great song, The Circle of Life, how all of life has its circle and it all fits together. And, and so we all have a role to play. Many of you are called by God to cook and I'm called by God to eat. We need each other. Without you, I'd have nothing to eat. Without you, me, you'd have no one to feed it to. So we'd all, we all do our job. So I'm a great eater. But I am a terrible cook. Basically, my cooking has not progressed beyond what I like to call the bachelor stage. Um, man, I can make some of the best ramen noodles you ever had. I can make a mean PB&J, and I, you will not find a better bowl of Frosted Flakes than the one that I can fix you. I mean, that's about the extent of my cooking. Now, some of y'all, some of y'all are good cooks. Like uh, Holly, she's a, she's a phenomenal cook. Uh, she, she, she's so good at cooking, and everything she makes is wonderful. My, my mama was a great cook. You know, and great cooks... They don't always need recipes. I don't know that I ever saw my mama use a recipe. Uh, you know, she had, she had on her stove, she had the big little, little tub there of bacon grease. When she'd cook the bacon, she'd dump it into it. And we had bacon grease in our family for generations. You know, but I don't know that I ever saw my mama ever get out a recipe book and cook it. She just knew what was good. So she'd cook and she'd stir and she'd taste and she'd add a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a dab of this and a dab of that and a dash of this. And that's, what, that's how she cooked. And that's how most good cooks cook. Now, we've already established that I'm not a good cook. We've already made that point abundantly clear to anyone who's listening. But the few times in my life when I've tried to cook, like I don't need recipes for me that use the word dabs and dashes. I need metric system measurements. I need 0.5 ounces of whatever. I, I don't need estimations. I need definitive numbers. Like, cause I'm a terrible cook. I'm gonna kill you if I cook for you. Like it, it's 50-50, you don't die when I cook. I grilled out yesterday. I'm out there on the grill with my little meat thermometer, you know, sticking it in the meat, making sure at the right temperature. Cause I don't wanna kill my family of salmonella, you know? Just didn't. So that's the kind of cook that I am. I need specific instructions. I need recipes. Recipes are pretty instructive. They tell you how to cook. They tell you what you make. And whatever you make with your recipe is what you're going to produce. 
Whatever your recipe has is what's going to be spilled out. Now, you might not be the best cook or whatever. Maybe you're burning or whatever. But if your recipe is for a ham sandwich and you make a ham sandwich, it's a ham sandwich. Like your recipe spills out what it is. You follow it point by point. You know, they have all these new, um, you know, like um, uh, prepackaged meals they'll send to your house and you'll, you'll cook them, you know, um, those type things. You follow the recipes and supposedly anybody can do it. The recipe produces what you cook. Well, it's like that in life too. The recipes that we live our life by produces what Jesus would call fruit. So the recipes that our lives are being built by will produce a certain type of fruit. You know, if our, the fruit of our life is love, joy, peace, kindness, the fruits of the Spirit, something in our life is producing that. So if you look in your life and, and, and you find love, then something in your life is producing that love. Or if you look in your life and you see rage, then something in your life is producing rage. You look in your life and you see patience, well, something in your life, there's a recipe in your life that's producing patience and kindness and mercy. But if you look in your life and there's anger and discord and hatred, something's producing that as well. Our lives are going to produce something. Our lives are going to produce fruit. So the question is, we look in our life and we see, well, what is the fruit we're bearing? What fruit are we bearing? And the fruit that we're bearing is going to be born based off the recipes that we're using. The last few weeks, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount all summer. And the Sermon on the Mount to me In the Old Testament, Moses goes up on a mountain and gets a law. And that law instructs the people of God how they are to live. Well, Jesus Christ in Matthew's gospel goes up on a mountain and he gives a law. But Jesus' law is a little bit different. Jesus' law is a little bit different. Moses' law is very practical in many ways. Don't do this, do this, stop that, don't do that type stuff. Well, Jesus' law is different. Because Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's not saying, don't stick your finger in a light socket. He's not saying, don't be dumb. He's saying, let the posture of your heart be towards God. Blessed. Remember the word blessed in Greek means satisfied. Completely satisfied shall you be. Completely satisfied shall you be when you hunger for God the way a starving man hungers for food. Blessed shall you be when you show mercy. Mercy is basically putting on another person's flesh, getting their experiences. Blessed shall you be when you can empathize with another person. Satisfied shall you be when you realize you can't save yourself and that your salvation lies only in God's goodness. Then you're satisfied. Then you're blessed. Then you're happy because then you're not trying to save yourself. You're living in response to God's good news of salvation. 
So for me, the Beatitudes, above all else, are not necessarily a to-do list, but the Beatitudes show us the proper posture of our heart, that our heart should always be inclined towards God. The posture of our heart should always be kneeling and focusing upon God. And if the posture of our heart is always focused upon God and radically loving him above all else. If the posture of our heart is always about focusing our life, our soul, our all in all towards God, then that posture, that recipe is gonna produce fruit. Last week we talked about, the sermon last week was entitled, The Results of Peace. When we realize that by radically chasing Jesus above all else, some folks aren't gonna like that. And that's okay because if our identity is found in Jesus Christ, not in the approval of other people, we're not chasing their approval, we're chasing God. But far too often, our approval, our worth is not found in God's thoughts towards us, but our worth is found in the approval of other people. That's why their opposition hurts so much. That's why their rejection hurts so much. That's why when they don't like us, it hurts so much because we're finding our worth not in the fact that we're a child of God, but we're finding our worth in the applause of other humans. And y'all, that's fickle. The applause of humans is fickle. It changes day by day. Well, if the recipe of our heart is cemented upon God, it produces peace. Well, today, today we see when the recipe of our heart is that posture that's given to us in the Beatitudes, we see what it produces. Jesus says two things. He says, you, he doesn't say you might be. He says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. If we posture our hearts, if we incline our hearts, if we build our, the very posture of our life and our hearts upon Jesus Christ above all else, upon finding our worth in him, then we're going to be salt and we're going to be light. If that is the recipe that our life is built upon, then that will be the fruit that it will produce. When the posture of our hearts is upon Jesus, we will become salt and we will become light. Jesus tells us that this morning, salt and light. And Jesus' day, Salt was, golly, the most valuable resource in the world. You know, in the olden days when Tim was growing up, they didn't have refrigerators. Well, that's really more of a Scott County thing than an old thing, right? Scott County is not nearly as refined and elite as Bogachita, so I get that, you know. Bogachita, where the, where, the, where the elite live, you know. My granny told me stories when she was little. My granny died at 90, 89 years old and 98. So she's seen a lot in her life. She still had an old ice box. And by ice box, I mean a box you put the ice in to keep it cold. She had, they had, they had, she was, she salted her meat when she was a kid. They had all that there because the only way to preserve the meat was you salted it. Salt is something that preserves life. Salt preserves life. So as Christians, as salt, are we preserving that which is good in the world? 
Do we hold on tight to that which is good in the world? Do we cling tightly to the faith handed to us by our apostles, by the apostles? Do we preserve the good things in life? Because y'all, the world, the world's going to push towards what is evil or what is dark or what is mean. The culture's going to always be a little mean. And so someone has to hold on to that which is good. Paul puts it like this, my brothers and sisters, whatever is holy, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, my brothers and sisters, think on these things. As Christians, it is our call to hold tightly to that which is good, to preserve that which is good, that no matter what the culture or what the world or what everybody says, we need to hold on to what is true, what is good, what is lovely, what is pure, what is kind. As salt, we are called to preserve that which is good. So salt has that preservation aspect to it, but it also has a flavor aspect to it. Salt makes things better. Salt makes things better. Is your school a better place because you're there? Is your job a better place because you're there? Is your work a better place because you're there? Is your family a better place because you're there? Salt brings out the best. Salt brings out flavor. As Christians, we're supposed to make the world a better place. We're supposed to make things better. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we're called to make things better. Salt always brings out the flavor. Salt always brings out the best in things. As Christians, are the places we go better because we've been there? I, I saw a, um, a, a video one day of teaching about discipleship making. And the, the speaker talked about how he felt, one of the things he taught his people to do as a disciple was that he felt like as Christians, we should make every place we go better. So one of the things he did was like when he would go to public restrooms, he would clean up out. Like he would like take a towel and like wipe down the sink. And I'm like, I don't want that. It, some of y'all might have that calling. That's not me. I, nope. Nope. But that's silly. But he felt like as a Christian, as a Christian, every place that he goes should have been better because he was there. Are we salt? Are we salt? Is our family better because we're part of it? Is our workplace better because we work there? Is our school better because we're there? Are we the ones that are calling people to do the right thing? Are we the ones encouraging the wrong? Are we sprouting seeds of kindness and mercy where we go? Or are we jeering with the crowd at what is wrong? Salt preserves that which is good and adds flavor to all of life. You're the salt of the earth. You're called to hold tight to that which is good and to bring out the best in everyone we meet, to bring out the best in life. You're the light of the world. Light has two major things. Well, a lot of things it does. One of the things that light drives out darkness, y'all. And our world's dark right now. 
You don't believe me, watch the news. And it's so easy for us to do exactly what Jesus warned us not to. No one lights a light and hides it under a bushel basket. It is so easy for us to hide our light under a bushel basket. To say, you know what? I'm not, I'm not worried about them. Let them do what they want. They can have it. I'm going to go over here and do my thing and be with my friends and live in my context and with my people and forget them. But when we do that, when we do that, we have hidden our light under the bushel basket. We must not do that, friends. We must not do that, church. We cannot hide our light. The world needs the light of Christ now more than ever. Our culture needs the light of Christ now more than ever. Our communities need the light of Christ now more than ever. We cannot run away from the darkness, but we must run into the darkness because light drives out dark. Darkness cannot exist where there's light. And I know it looks dark and scary out there. I get it. I know it does. But we cannot be cowered by the darkness. We cannot give in to the evil of this age. We cannot allow hatred to grow in our hearts or in the world. But we have a story to tell to the nations that will turn their hearts to the right. To tell them that God is love, to tell them that God is love, and the darkness will turn to dawning. You are the light of the world, friends. You are the light of the world, St. Matthews. Do not hide your light under a bushel. Do not hide your light under a bushel, but let it shine for all the world to see. So light drives our darkness and light shows the way. Light shows the way. You get your little lantern out and you're walking with it and it illuminates the path in front of you. You take your flashlight out and you shine it around so you can see where you're going. Does your light, does your life, does it show others the way? Do folks know how we should live based off you? Do folks know how we should show mercy based off you? Are you being light? Are you being light? Are you showing others the way? Our life's going to produce something, y'all. It is. What is your life producing right now? Is your life producing faith, joy, love, hope, these things? Or is your life producing bitterness and rage, discord, hatred? Is your life producing patience? That's a hard one. Is your life producing something other? The recipes that we build our life out of will be what we produce. If the posture of our hearts is that which the Beatitude talks about, understanding that God is God and we build our life around him, then we're going to produce these fruit. It's going to happen. We're going to produce. It's going to happen. But if we're building the recipe of our life around our stuff, then we're going to produce something else. 
our, our world, our schools, our communities desperately need us now as a people of grace to be salt and light. It's our mission. And as I think about, you know, in life of the church, August 1 is kind of New Year's Day. It really has become, because, you know, now we're back in school and life returns to normal. So things pick back up. Everybody starts coming back to church. I mean, just like everything's back to life. Summer's over. When that live starts next week, everything's picking back up. School's starting. So as I thought about the school year, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for us. Is to be salt and light. To make a difference. To make a difference. But it starts with me inclining my heart towards God above all else. It starts with you inclining your heart towards God above all else. The Beatitudes show us the recipe we are to live our life by. And we will produce salt and light. Today, in this moment, what recipe are we living our life by? Today, are we producing salt and light? Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. God, help us today and always to live our life via your way, in your will, in your truth. Help us, O oh God, to produce salt and light each day. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come now to our time of Holy Communion, uh, I invite you to, um, you have a couple options. You can uh, follow along in your order of worship this morning. You can turn to page 12 in your hymnal. Or like I said, if you have our mobile app, you can follow along within that in our interactive bulletin um, for our service of Holy Communion.